Good morning, church. Thank you for being a church that stands for life. I want to echo the things that Craig has said. For those of you that are involved in the adoption world and those of you that are involved in the foster care system and those of you that are uh, involved with any, any of these ministries like Lifeline or the Low Country Pregnancy Center, or maybe you support them with your time or your resources or your prayers, you are the hands and feet of Jesus. And you will be rewarded, and what you're doing now will impact eternity. So thank you for that. Thank you for being a church that stands for life. I hope that you were able to see Buster's video message that he sent out in the church-wide email. He is two days away from finishing up his quarantine. He had close contact with somebody, and so he's been quarantined. He's doing fine. He feels perfectly well. He'll be back on Tuesday, and he can't wait. So I know that if you've walked through that road of being quarantined, you know what it's like to want to come back. I also just want to say, praise the Lord for the Lottie Moon giving. I mean, hasn't it been amazing? We had a goal of $460,000 to go towards global missions, and we collect for that through the Christmas season and through January. And here we are, not even completed with January yet, and we, last night I checked, it was $535,000, almost $80,000 over our goal. So thank you for participating in that. That is a great thing. And we want to we want to praise the Lord for that and how he's using you to take the gospel everywhere. Uh, we we had this goal, $460,000 and Buster made a comment how he thought that was that was a lot, especially in this COVID season, but we also had the goal of 100% participation. And so we want to continue to encourage you to give to that, but if you are a part of this church, if this is your church home, if this is the local body that feeds you spiritually and you haven't joined us in giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, we would encourage you to do so for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the nations. We are in the book of Jonah this morning. We are going to be looking at Jonah chapter 1. The book of Jonah is an Old Testament minor prophet. A prophet in the Old Testament is somebody whom God has ordained to speak for him. That God gives the prophet his message and tells the prophet to be his mouthpiece, to be the messenger for God himself, to whomever audience God so has foreordained to hear this message. And typically, the prophets spoke to the people of God, the children of Israel, but not exclusively. We see examples throughout the Old Testament where the prophets uh, would speak to people outside of the children of Israel. And in this case, in the book of Jonah, God calls Jonah, who is an established prophet, we see him elsewhere in the Old Testament, and tells him to go speak a message of repentance to the people of Nineveh a pagan city. They were actually enemies of God. So Jonah hears the word of the Lord and his calling to go speak a message of repentance to Nineveh, and Jonah says, nope, not going. Don't want to do that. And it says that he fled from the Lord, got on a boat, and went in the opposite direction, literally, from Nineveh. And God hurls a storm on his boat, and it's a raging storm, and the sailors are terrified and they throw Jonah overboard, and the storm ceases from its raging. And you remember this part of the story where 
the whale comes up and swallows Jonah. And Jonah spends three days in the belly of the whale. And the whale vomits Jonah up. And in an act of grace and mercy, the Lord calls out again to his prophet and says, Go speak to the people of Nineveh. This time Jonah goes, but he still goes begrudgingly and is kind of pouting. And he goes to the people of Nineveh. He speaks a word of repentance. And in an act of, of a supernatural act, the whole city, Scripture tells us there's 120,000 people in Nineveh. They turn in repentance. Even the king falls down and worships the God of Israel. Jonah, meanwhile, pouting, leaves Nineveh, goes outside the city, and it's, it's a desert out there, and he kind of takes up a perch and watches and waits for the wrath of God to fall and consume the city as an act of judgment, and he wants it to happen. And when Jonah realizes that God relents from his wrath, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, says that Jonah is exceedingly angry. Some, some translations tell us that Jonah saw it as an evil that God had done. Yeesh. Jonah's kind of a jerk, isn't he? I mean, come on, man. Like, you're pouting this whole time. And God seeks to teach Jonah a lesson. And at the end of Jonah, we see uh, that God raises a plant to grow up overnight and provide shade for Jonah. And he enjoys it. Yet in a day's time, that plant withers away and Jonah again is pouty, groveling on the ground. And he says, God, just take me now. Kill me now. It's not worth for me to be alive. And it's kind of regrettable. Jonah, and then it ends. And then Jonah just kind of, the book of Jonah ends. It ends by God saying, you would have pity on a plant that just grew up over 24 hours and, and I shouldn't have pity on 120,000 souls. Er, and, the, and, and the book of Jonah ends. But what we see throughout the book of Jonah, it's only four chapters. If you, if you flip there, it's, it's one full page and then about three quarters of another page. What we see in the book of Jonah is that there's this ongoing theme that the Lord is the God of salvation. All right, salvation belongs to the Lord. That everywhere Jonah goes, salvation follows him, and it's no thanks to Jonah, right? Jonah is a terrible messenger. We see the salvation of the sailors. We see the salvation of Jonah from the belly of the whale. We see the salvation of 120,000 people in Nineveh. And, and Jonah is begrudging the entire way. But we see this beautiful message that salvation belongs to the Lord, and it's the message that saves and not the messenger. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at a story within the story of Jonah, and it's the story of the storm. And we're going to see what the Lord would show us through this Old Testament story and how it applies to us today in 2021. I would love for your eyes to be on the text with me. It's in your bulletin, or if you want to turn to your scriptures, I'm going to read the story of the storm in Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. It says this, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. 
Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots to see that who may, on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And what, of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode harder to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. What we see here in the book of Jonah and the story of the storm are, are bookends. There are supernatural bookends to this story. The first supernatural bookend we see in verse 4 where it says, The Lord hurled the storm. All right, this is, what, this is not something that just kind of came up because of science and the laws of weather. But it says that the Lord hurled the storm. And it says it was a raging storm. It was a mighty tempest, so much that these seasoned sailors were exceedingly afraid. And they were throwing the cargo overboard. That was their profit. All they wanted was to get out with their lives. They cast lots. The lots pointed to Jonah, and they said, Jonah, what's, what, have you, what evil have you done? And Jonah says, yep, it's me. Pick me up, throw me, hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. And the sailors rode harder and harder and harder to try to get to dry land, but they just couldn't. They eventually threw him into the sea. And then the second supernatural event happened. The storm ceased from its raging. As Jonah's body hit the water, it was a calm. It wasn't a, just a, a letting up of the storm. It wasn't a, the storm is passing it was a supernatural event of a raging storm that was growing stronger and stronger and stronger, and then boom, it was peaceful. So we have bookends, these two supernatural events. And the question that I want to ask of us this morning, the first question I want to ask of this text this morning, is what precisely happened to bring a ceasing to the supernatural storm? What is it? What do we see in the text that caused the raging storm to instantaneously cease? What we see as we look at this text is we see one line of hope. There is one verse, one sentence that is the only offer of salvation, the only offer of solution, the only way out of the predominant issue of the story, which is the raging storm. In verse 12... Jonah says, pick me up, hurl me into the sea, 
and the sea will quiet down for you. Jonah says to the other sailors in the boat, do something physical and then something supernatural is going to happen for you. We can't say that. Like, the world doesn't operate that way. You know, I, I can't say do something physical and then something supernatural is going to happen for you. So it, it kind of begs the question, how did Jonah know that? This is a supernatural hurling of a storm. I mean, aren't Jonah and God at, at odds at this moment? Is Jonah a sorcerer? Is, is this a battle between God hurling a storm and Jonah like pushing back with his magic or miracles, whatever it might be? Does Jonah have some sort of miracle dust in his pocket left over from his prophetic day? I mean, what is going on here? What we know about Jonah is Jonah has one thing to offer. All right, he's running from God. He has one thing to offer. Jonah's a prophet. Not everybody's a prophet. Jonah is a prophet. A prophet is somebody who hears a word from the Lord and is to speak that word to whomever the audience is that God so foreordains. Jonah heard a word from the Lord that he was to speak to the sailors. And that word of the Lord ended up bringing salvation to the sailors. And, and furthermore, the sailors themselves attributed Jonah's words as being from the Lord. Jonah is still in the boat, and the sailors are rowing. And who do the sailors call out to? They call out to the Lord after Jonah says the word from the Lord. They call out to the Lord. They don't call for further clarity from Jonah. They call out to the Lord, and they say, and they say Oh, Lord, this is your will. You have brought this upon us. Please don't hold this against us, because this is what you have done. And then what happens after they toss Jonah into the raging sea? They don't worship the messenger. They don't worship the ones who brought the word. They worship the Lord, because the Lord brought salvation. It's the word of the Lord that brought salvation to the sailors. The word of the Lord brought salvation to the sailors physically and spiritually. I mean, the storm ceased from its raging, but we also see that after the storm ceased, they didn't just go about their business. They stopped. They were exceedingly afraid, as the disciples were when Jesus calmed the storm. Mark chapter 4, and they fell down and they worshiped the God of Israel. Praise be to God. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and the word of the Lord brings salvation. Now, understanding that the word of the Lord brings salvation, I want to take a second and see how the sailors responded to the word of the Lord. All right, so they heard the word of the Lord, they received the word of the Lord in the middle of of the tempestuous storm. But what's the first thing that they did? They heard the word of the Lord and they started rowing. Nevertheless, it says in verse 13, they rowed all the harder. Why? Because that's all they knew how to do. That's what they were skilled at. That's what they were good at. That's what they were trained to do. They were in the middle of a spiritual problem because God supernaturally caused the storm, and they are trying to fight this spiritual problem with their physical means, with all of their physical might. And what happened? It says the storm grew more tempestuous against them. They weren't going to win that battle. And eventually, at the end of themselves, with no power left, 
What do the sailors do? After they tried their hardest by their own means, they surrendered to the word of the Lord. And they did what the word of the Lord said. They picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea. And I say surrendered here because I don't think that they obeyed. Obedience is hearing the word of the Lord and doing it. In, in, in my house, I've got three young girls. We say, we stole this from somebody else, slow obedience is no obedience, right? Go clean your room. Oh, you're not doing it? Okay, well, you're disobeying, all right? Like slow obedience is, is no, they didn't obey. They surrendered. What does it mean to surrender? Surrender means to hear and then to go do everything else you possibly can to fix your problem to get to the end of yourself, but to see that you can't fix your problem and you're doomed unless you get a source that is stronger than yourself to save you. And then you submit to it. You give up. You surrender to it. You know, this makes me think of a, a story from my childhood. I grew up in the upstate and we had a house and we lived on a, on a street and we had this a pretty small yard, but we had this cat, white socks. It's a gray cat, white paws. And white socks ruled the yard. All right, if there was a bird that got in the yard, white socks was after it. If there was a, a chipmunk or a, a, um, a squirrel, white socks was after it. If a dog wandered into the yard, white socks would chase after it and take a swat after the dog and kind of run it out. And, they, and white socks would always kill these little animals and bring them to our back porch, kind of like, look what I did for you, protected the house yet again. And eventually... I was the one that had to clean that up, by the way. Eventually, we got another uh, small cat that we named Marble. And White Sox and Marble would fight, cat fight, viciously. And I didn't like to see that. Uh, and I would see these two cats fighting, and then Marble, the smaller cat, would always eventually roll over on its back and put its little paws up, and the fight would cease and White Sox would walk away. And I remember asking my mom, what, what's, what just happened? Like, what's going on here? My mom said, that's in the animal world how an animal surrenders. It rolls over, and it, it, it exposes the most vulnerable part of its body, the, the belly, where the vital organs are, and where the rib cage does not protect. And the animal is communicating, I surrender, take my life. I'm done fighting. You can swipe me and kill me. I'm yours. The, I'm done fighting. So take my life. Do as you will. I surrender. That's what it means to surrender. And that's what the sailors did that day. They tried everything they possibly could. Even though they had the word of the Lord, they knew it. They heard it. They rode and they rode and rode until they had nothing left. And eventually they surrendered. And the Lord brought their salvation physically and their salvation spiritually. Now, you hear this story, Jonah chapter 1. This was a long time ago, about 800 B.C. It was in a boat with a bunch of pagans uh, on the other side of the world. And you, you might simply ask yourself the question, um, Okay, I see what you're saying. That's the word of the Lord. But what does that have to do with me? So what? Like, what, what does that one sentence from Jonah have to do with me here in, in, in 2021? 
Well, what it has to do with us is that the word of the Lord that brings salvation, the word of the Lord still brings salvation. If the word of the Lord came to Jonah on that ship and, 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 and God no longer spoke to his prophets, if that was the final word of the Lord, then we could say, eh, I'm not sure what exactly that has to do with us. Maybe we could make some moralistic story about storms that come into your life. This is what you should do. But the thing is, is God continued to speak through his prophets. There is, there is a further word from the Lord. And what we begin to see now that we can look back on the scope of the entire Old Testament is that all the prophets of the Old Testament were foreshadowing a greater prophet to come with a greater message to speak. That they were all pointing in a broken sort of way to the one who is coming that is the full message, that is the full and the final prophet. Even Moses in Deuteronomy 18 says that there is another prophet that is coming. All right, that there is one that we know is Jesus who enters the scene in the Gospels as the ultimate, as the final, as the fullest prophet. That Jesus was the complete and the perfect messenger bringing the complete and the perfect message. We see in Matthew, Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 5 that I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them. I have come to take what the prophets have said and complete them into the fullness, into the complete picture of what the Messiah is going to look like. It is me. Even the book of John tells us that Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Word made flesh, that Jesus is the messenger and Jesus is the message. You know, we look at the example of Jonah and, and Jonah was a terrible messenger, wasn't he? I mean, he was kind of a jerk. He wasn't a good missionary. So often we look at him as like, man, what a broken, what a, what a messed up way. But we have Jonah with the perfect message pointing to the greater message that is Jesus Christ. And not only that, but what we have in Jesus Christ is the fullness and the completion of God's word to us. We have the complete word of God right now. Those sailors on the ship, the only word from the Lord that they actually had was that line of hope that came from Jonah, and it was enough to save them. And God in his sovereignty has said, with the coming of my son, the very word made flesh, the word that dwells among you, the word of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the author and the perfecter of your faith, I am bringing my word to my people to a point of completion. And this is it. We have the total counsel of God. And it is sufficient for all of life and for all of godliness. That there are no pages at the end of the Bible that are blank for us to listen and, and say, is there another prophet coming so that we can continue to hear new words from the Lord? We don't have that. This is our word. The word of the Lord brings us salvation. Now maybe you're sitting here and I'm talking about the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord brings salvation and it wasn't just the hearing of the word of the Lord that brought the, the sailor's salvation, but it was the surrendering of the word of the Lord that brought them salvation. And maybe you're looking at your own life Maybe you've been around this church thing for a while. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you're brand new. And you look at your life and you say in your heart of hearts, in all honesty, I've heard the word of the Lord. 
I've received the word of the Lord. I've sat under the preaching of the word of the Lord. I'm not fighting the word of the Lord. But I haven't surrendered to the word of the Lord. And knowing that the word of the Lord is, is found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, you too, like the sailors, can be saved for all of eternity. That Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. And we surrender to him after rowing and rowing and rowing and rowing and finding out that we cannot fix our own spiritual problems, we cannot save ourselves. All that's left is the prophetic word that is Jesus to fall on our knees with open hands and say, Jesus, save me. And when we surrender, he brings us salvation. It's beautiful. But Jesus doesn't just bring us the salvation of our souls. That's the best thing that he brings us. But our life is filled with spiritual battles and conflict and dealing with sin and anger and rage and issues and the brokenness of life and relationships and mistakes and sin. And even as believers, we need to fall back on the fact that this is the word of the Lord that brings us salvation. The salvation of our souls, but the salvation of the issues that are going on in our life. And in a diagnostic way, maybe you find yourself in life at this moment just exhausted. You're done. You're worn out. You've tried everything you can. And what we see in the word of the Lord that is complete in Christ, that this book brings rest, a spiritual rest. Maybe you look at yourself in your life and you find yourself just afraid and shackled with fear and anxiety. And this book is able to bring you a peace that doesn't make sense to the world, a peace that we can't explain, a peace that passes understanding through the word of the Lord that is found in Jesus Christ when we surrender to it. Maybe you look at your life and maybe you're dealing with guilt and despair and perhaps you're burdened and ashamed for just some sin that you regret from your past or maybe you're still dealing with. This book brings forgiveness of those sins and can wash you white as snow through Jesus. Maybe you're finding yourself beaten and just defeated that this book can give you hope because the word of the Lord does not leave us without hope. Maybe you're finding yourself angry. Maybe you've been wronged legitimately and people have, have certainly sinned against you and they're wrong and you're right. And there is a bitterness that has taken root in your heart. This book can bring you a joy above that. Because this book brings salvation. Maybe you're finding yourself lonely and longing for camaraderie and friendship. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're married. 
This book is the word of the Lord that brings salvation through Jesus and offers friendship that is closer than a brother. Maybe you find yourself trapped and enslaved to a sin that you just can't let go of, and it eats you up at night. This book is the word of the Lord that brings salvation, and it brings healing and freedom. Church, one thing that is clear, I think that we all agree on, is we are living in a culture around us that is dark, that does not live by the standards that God has set forth for us, that the world laughs at the things of God, that the world says that the things that are right in this world are wrong according to God, and the things that are wrong according to God are celebrated in the world, that there is a, there is a growing darkness out there. And God's plan for the church is that the church, through the people of God, are the lights in the darkness. That we don't just try to do good, that we don't just try to row, that we don't just try to meet the physical needs, but we take the spiritual solution that God has given us, that we can be the messenger of God's perfect message of the hope of salvation to the darkness of the world around us. That if we are going to be a light in the world as the church of God, we must be individual members of the church that are surrendered to the Word of God. And what I mean by that is that we don't just attest to the Word of God or affirm the Word of God. We don't just sit under the preaching of the Word of God, but that we individually are surrendering continually ourselves to the Word of the Lord that brings salvation. That we as married couples are in the Word of the Lord together. That we as men are in the Word of the Lord. That as women, you're in the Word of the Lord. As families together, you are in the Bible together. As young middle school and high school and college believing students, you are in the Word of the Lord together. As grandparents, you are in surrendering yourself to the Word of the Lord continually as a rhythm and as a routine and as a practice of your life. This season of COVID has been difficult for many people. And maybe it has helped your routine. For many people, it has hurt your routine. And what we see from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, is that the Lord brings us salvation through His Word. People of God, we need the Word of God. You know, I was a middle school pastor here for several years, and I used to have students, or I used to have parents that would come to me, and they would say, Danny, you need to talk about peer pressure to the students. Danny, you need to talk to the kind of music that they're listening to because the words are foul and profane. Danny, you need to talk to the students about respecting their parents or understanding authority or pornography or whatever the issue might be. And all of those are legitimate and all those are real issues. And the Bible speaks to all of those issues and the complete finished work of of God through the Bible. But ultimately, what I wanted to communicate was, students, you need the Word of God in your life. You need to learn for yourselves and how to feed from the Word of the Lord that brings us salvation because I'm not going to be here forever. Your parents aren't going to be here forever. We don't know what kind of darkness is coming. I mean, one year ago, we didn't know this was going to be going on. We had no idea of anything. COVID has shown us you don't know what's coming. You're not going to be here at some point in time. As grandparents, you're not going to be here at some point in time. And maybe this church isn't going to be here at some point in time. But you know what? The word of the Lord is going to be here. 
And we need to be convicted as brothers and sisters who walk together as the local church that we must be people in the Word and surrendered to the Word of God. So no matter where you're at, Maybe, maybe you're doing this routinely and consistently, and I said, praise God for that. That's, that's what God does. That's what God uses. He uses his prophetic word. But if you find yourself as a believer, and you're not consistently in the word of God, I, I'm not bringing guilt on you or condemnation on you, but I want to call you and challenge you to begin to be in the word of God at a personal level. And just practically speaking, I want to take a few minutes on what that can practically look like. I believe that God has given us rhythms and routines of life as a gift. And if you're not consistently in the Word right now, I would encourage you to start by being in the Word just five days a week. The weekdays, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Typically, we all have a rhythm and a routine, especially on the weekdays. And find a good place to fit some time reading your Bible into your rather your regular routine and your rhythm. You get up probably at the same time. You brush your teeth. You make your coffee. You figure out your breakfast. You, you head for work about the same time every day. Right? That's typically what we do. Find the time that works best for you. It could be in the morning. It could be in the evening. It could be at your lunch break. Find a time and make it a part of your rhythm. The next thing I would encourage you to do is find a chair. So find a time and find a chair that's going to be your place to read your Bible. For me, my rhythm is in the morning. It's uh, after I do kind of my morning routine, brushing my teeth and all that kind of stuff. I go downstairs, brew a cup of coffee, and there's a green chair that we bought at Ikea that sits in in the corner of the living room, and my Bible sits next to it. And that's my quiet time chair. Same time in the morning. Before the kids get up, it's my quiet time chair. Maybe you're asking yourself, well, I don't know where to start. Should I start a read through the Bible in a year program? Well, don't start there, <laughs> all right? Reading through the Bible in the year is, is good and, and, and all that, but I wouldn't start there. Start in one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And this isn't about a race. It's not a homework assignment. But just take a, a story or a paragraph and read it couple times. Maybe spend a couple days on that. This isn't, this isn't a rush. And pray that God would open your eyes to see the things that physically you couldn't see yourself, but that God would supernaturally allow you to see what he would have you to see. Because this is prophetic, and that's what God does. And the last thing I would encourage you to do is to bring somebody into that with you. Typically, if you're starting something new or restarting something in your life, if you do it by yourself and nobody else knows about it, you don't keep up with it because that's what happens to me. Whether it's a spouse or a friend or a roommate, just include some. Maybe it's somebody who's already in the Word consistently, and you can, they can encourage you and challenge you. Maybe it's somebody who also wants to start being in the Word together. But church, this is the sword that we fight back the darkness with. This is the word of the Lord that brings salvation. That's what Jonah 1 tells us. It's all we have. There isn't a further word of the Lord. And praise be to God for that. Just as a means of a further resource, I love this little book. It's called Praying the Bible by a guy named Don Whitney. It's super short. It's a super easy read. The pages are small and the print is big. 
And he walks through a simple way of how to read scripture and pray the very words of God. And it has really fed my soul. If you're a parent or a grandparent, Steve Tuck and English Preston and our student ministries are working together on a new curriculum that's called D6, Family Discipleship. And this is a quarterly magazine that we want to make available to parents and grandparents, and it just gives great ideas and tools on how to include the Word in the everydayness of life, whether you've got toddlers or you have teenagers. Come speak to me afterwards. We can get one of these. I have a couple of these over here. If you want one, I'll give it to you. But check this out for the sake of the kingdom. Church, let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you and your sovereignty have spoken to us, that we have your complete word in the Bible, that there is nothing else that we need to know that your word doesn't provide for us. And Father, I ask that you would help us as sons and daughters of God to be faithful, to be in your word, to find ways that we can continue to surrender with our hands open and say, God, teach me how to navigate this life in the ups and the downs. Father, may we be a light in this dark world. May we be a light that points people to the sweet salvation that we find in the word of the Lord. Father, as we stand for life, Father, as we interact with our coworkers and our neighbors, Father, may we not shy away from your truth. May we be messengers, unlike Jonah, who gladly go and speak your word of hope and peace and forgiveness and rest. Because this is what we have that you have given to us. Father, may, may you use our church mightily for the sake of your kingdom. And individually, as sons and daughters of God, may we continue to work on the disciplines of grace, of being in your word. We thank you for loving us, for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen.